Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for rounding out the week with us and welcome to Abounding Grace with our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor. We'll pick up where we left off in John chapter 6, which happens to be verse 60. Pastor Ed's message is titled, Jesus Alone Has the Words of Eternal Life. And as he begins, he reminds us that life is full of difficult words. Take your Bibles, open them to two places, would you? First, Luke's Gospel chapter 8. We're going to use that to begin our Bible study today, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to end up in John chapter 6, where we finish the chapter. John chapter 6. This last section of John chapter 6 reminded me that life is filled with hard words. Life is filled with difficult words. Hard words to say, hard words to hear. Words like, the test came back, and they're positive. Words like, your daughter is very sick and may not make it. Words like, yes, it's cancer. And this is the treatment that we will begin. Words like, after so many years of faithful service, we appreciate all that you've done here as an employee, but today we have to let you go. Words like, I don't love you anymore and I want a divorce. Difficult words that no one should really ever have to hear or really even have to say. But the reality is, is life is filled with difficult words. Truly, those words describe difficult, they're really the entryway to difficult situations. They're hard to hear. They're hard to share. And yet anyone living in life and anyone living on the world, on the planet today, realize that difficult, hard words are a regular, normal part of life. In Luke chapter 8, we have instruction on how to listen and to hear from our Savior. Luke's gospel, chapter 8, Jesus says in verse 16, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it out on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. And and that's so true, isn't it? That's true then and it's true now. You know, for us today, nobody goes down to Ikea, buys a brand new lamp, and then brings it home, puts it under the bed, and plugs it in and says, look at my new light. No, rather, a lamp has a purpose. It's to shed light in a dark place. And if you were to get a brand new lamp and bring it in, you would put it on the most appropriate place in the room, turn it on, and the room would be lit. So true. But Jesus uses this spiritually. Now that we have that understanding, he says in verse 17, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. You see, some of us, perhaps some of you, have a dark secret. You've been withholding information. You've been hiding something. And when the light is being shown on that situation, you try to hide it. You try to cover it. But Jesus is saying this. Hey, look, in life, 
Whatever you're going through, whatever you're hiding, even if you've got some stuff that you're not wanting to expose, you think you're getting away with it, whatever that might be, just understand this. There is nothing that's hidden right now that won't be exposed. And I would even add this, because I think the implication of what Jesus is saying is true. I would even add this, that those of you that think you're successful hiding something, you're not successful hiding. You're not hiding anything. It's true that we may not know, but certainly the eyes of God are on our lives. The Bible even describes that as the vulnerability of being naked and open before him. There is nothing hidden before the Lord. Not only that, Jesus builds on it now in verse 18. Listen, because of the light and because we don't want to hide anything, because things are going to be exposed, therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed. Be careful how you hear. Be careful because you're going to hear hard things in your life. Difficult things. Spiritually difficult things. Not just the things that I listed on a small, brief, yet not exhaustive list. But reading through the Bible. You're going to hear hard things. Listening to Bible studies. You're going to hear hard things. And that's where we pick up now with the rest of chapter 6. With a group of people that were following Jesus hearing hard things. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? What saying is he referring to? Well, in a previous study, you recall, Jesus told them about the importance of fully submitting to him, taking him all in, and you going all in with him. And he used the phrase, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they took it the wrong way. They misunderstood it, or even I suggest they refused to understand it because Jesus wasn't sticking out his arm and saying, eat my flesh, and everybody was taking a bite out of his arm. He wasn't doing that. He he didn't take blood from a previous opportunity and say, here, take the blood and drink this. And he had, it wasn't that at all. We know that he was speaking figuratively. He was talking about when we consume something, we take something in, it becomes part of us. And, And even in his relationship now, he takes it a step further and says, when you take him in, he then also takes you in. And there's a fullness of commitment and faith of truly following him. A commitment of sacrifice. A commitment of moving forward in obedience and cooperation with the Spirit. And he's saying it's hard for them. It's hard for them. It's been hard to hear that. But it's not the kind of difficulty that you and I might face. Now, there's probably a few of you here that completely understand all the dynamics of physics. I mean, we'd probably call you a rocket scientist. But for most of us, us, when you start speaking physics to us, we don't understand. I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I mean, it, it just, it, my mind can't comprehend, it can't wrap around, my mind doesn't think that way. So it's not that where, you know, you and I are talking about things, and I, I said, hey, did you see that great rocket that got shot up into the sky? And you say, well, this is how it happened, and you start drawing a picture, and I'm like, I don't get it, I don't get it, I just saw it take off, that's all I need to know, I saw it take off. But you have a deeper understanding. That's not what I believe is happening here, that they got something that was too hard to understand, just, I don't get it. No, instead I see something totally different taking place here. And we know it's totally different because of the way Jesus responds to them. This isn't an example of Jesus saying something so hard that nobody could understand it except a select few. Not at all. But rather, I believe they understood it in the sense of what Jesus, not only they understood it, not only did what Jesus said, but he took the time to explain it to them, that they understood mentally 
But by the time they came to that conclusion, they knew that if they understood it the way they heard it, that it would require some change in their life, and they refused to understand it. So they copped out and said, oh, those are hard to understand. I suggest to you that they did understand, like it's often the case with you, just in the human realm. It's why so many people close the Bible and you go, why don't you read the Bible? Oh, I don't understand it. No, no, I, I don't. Now, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're going to understand it. He's going to open up your eyes. And, and as an unbeliever, you know, you turn page after page, and you may not understand the nuances of it, but you do get this. God loves you. Sent his son Jesus to die for you. You've got issues in your life that need to be laid before God. You need to submit your life to God. You get that. And because you get that, you close it because, man, you really do understand, and you just are unwilling to accept the decisions that need to come after that. And so I lay that just before you because it's a danger for anyone and all of us to come, well, I don't understand. No, 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 you do under. I think you really do understand. And you understand so well that you realize that what you understand is going to require a major change in your life and you're not willing to do that. So be careful, what did Jesus say? How you hear. Be careful. Take heed how you hear. Because you don't want to end up like this group of people that it all started with, I don't understand. And it ended with them walking away from Jesus forever. This group of people walked away from Jesus and ended up dying in their sin apart from him. You don't want that to happen in your life. You don't want to walk away from the Lord. You don't want to abandon your faith. You don't want to abandon what's been laid before you. You don't want to turn your back because things are hard and you have to make hard decisions and and you're forced with great difficulty. You know, you think of some of those hard words. Sometimes those hard words are the great entry point to tremendous faith. Yeah, I hear what you say, doctor, but I have faith in God. I have a God that's bigger than medicine and bigger than my body. And, and I hear what you say, and it's scary, but it becomes a trigger. I, but I believe in it, Lord. I, I believe in you, and I'm going to, all the way to the, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to make decisions by faith. So I, I know, I, I mean, I know it's hard to lose a job, but you know what? God, you're moving me on, and, and I trust you're moving me on. I don't like the way it happened, and if I had my way, it wouldn't have been this way. But it is. And so it becomes a trigger of faith. But it also can be a trigger for unbelief. It can be a trigger for discouragement. It can be a trigger for walking away from the Lord. Walking away. You want to be very careful. Verse 61 now. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? You like to write in your Bible, circle the word offend. Does this offend you? It's actually a deeper word than just offend. It comes from the Greek word scandalon. We get our English word scandalous from this Greek word. And and the idea here is is like Jesus saying, does this shock you? Is this a scandal to you that I'm asking you for full commitment? Is it a shock to you that I'm asking you for more than just following me around for food and seeing miracles? Is it a shock to you that I'm providing to you eternal life? Is it a shock? Are you offended? Are you scandalized by this? Well, he says, if you're scandalized by this, notice verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It's like, if you're shocked by this, how are you going to feel when you see me beaten? How are you going to feel when you see me hanging on a cross? If this shocks you, these words, I'm just saying words. Remember, that's what he's, all he's sharing with them is words. He's just talking to them. And they're shocked and they're scandalized and, and they're, they're just murmuring over it. He says, if you get shocked with just mere words, what's it going to be like when you see me sending into heaven, which is preceded by what? His beating. 
the cross, putting him in a tomb, sealing it with a stone, putting guards there, coming to the tomb. The tomb is empty. Jesus is walking the earth for many days, revealing himself to eventually then ascend back into heaven in front of him. If, if, if words shock you, things are going to get worse. You know, if these little simple words of inviting you into a full commitment shock you, it's going to get worse. And then he says in verse 63, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. That's the issue. It's not that the words offended them, but that the words, it's not that they didn't understand. It's not just that the words offended them. Their core issue, which is always our core issue, is a lack of faith and believing in the truth. That was their problem. And they refused to change. They don't believe. And it says in verse 64, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who, told, who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. And notice verse 66. This is one of those sad verses. You realize this is John 6, 6, 6. Appropriately. It says in John six sixty six. from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It was more than words. They refused to commit. They refused to respond in faith. They refused to accept the words. You see, because they, Jesus, the Messiah, didn't come as they expected. They expected Jesus, the Messiah, to come as a materialistic Messiah. They expected more of the breaking of the bread and multiplying of the fish. That's why they were following him. Give me a meal. I'm just following you for a meal. I'm following you for something. I'm only going to hang out with you, Jesus, while you give to me. They they were expecting not only a a materialistic Messiah, they were also expecting a militant Messiah. Because look look at our lives. We're under the oppression and the yoke of Rome. Look what they do and how they treat us. They have no love or regard for God. So Messiah surely will come and break the yoke of Rome. Messiah will surely come and materially bless us. Let me just say that some of those streams are still with us today. This is no different than what I hear today in many dialogues. Wanting a militant Messiah to take and overthrow the government. That's not why Jesus came. They want a materialistic Messiah, which is far more popular. There's a whole stream of false teaching in a very large segment of the church today that goes something along the lines of this. Jesus came to bless you. And the blessings are always measured in material possessions with money and houses and cars and jobs and happiness. And, and if you don't have that, it's not God's fault, they will say. It's your fault. And they lay the burden and the trip on you. And what they'll do is they'll say, well, look at me. Look at how blessed I am. Look at all the houses that I have. Look at all the money I have. And look at all the success. And yet, Jesus didn't come. That is not a true representation of Messiah. He's neither militant nor materialistic. Jesus came as a suffering servant not a militant, materialistic Messiah. And you and I, following Jesus, are going to share in his suffering. Do you realize those who you follow, you share in their lives? Do you realize that? Those that you follow, you share in their lives. Let me, let me give you an example. example. When I was here uh, on Friday night with the junior hires, I asked them the same question. There, there, is a, there is a professional football team in our city, right? Isn't, is there? Is there? Yeah, I got the same response. Uh, The uh, kids on Friday night didn't know either. Is there? Yeah, there is, isn't there? The Broncos are in town. And many of you uh, enjoy football and you follow the Broncos. You follow them. And as you follow them, you share in their experiences. You really do. 
You don't think about it, but you do. So, so when, let's say you go to the game, and there you are at the game, and, and it's going pretty well, and then there's that big throw and that big catch and that big touchdown, and what happens in the stadium? People just flip out. And you're not even a person that flips out. And what are you doing? Flipping out. You say, this is awesome. Yay, oh yeah, did you, man? You're high-fiving strangers. And I mean, it's just, why? Because you're following the team, and when something good happens, you're totally there. And you feel good. Yay, yay. You know, that, that's true. And... When your team is expected to win the big game and they don't win the big game and it all falls down on one pass and you put your whole hopes in a quarterback who knows he's not the best. Just checking if you're with me, man. I don't really care, but I just want to see if you guys are listening because you're like calm and quiet because Ed's dealing with the Broncos and you're just like, where's he going to go? But check this out. He throws the pass and it's going to be, if he catch, you win. If you drop, you lose. And it's, well, it's overthrown and the game is over and the stadium isn't high-fiving. It just, the life gets sucked out of the stadium. And you're not some person that normally gets so sad, but you are so bummed out. Why? Because those who you follow, you share. It's just normal. It's natural. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the deeper the relationships, the more you share. So think about it now, not just on football, but think of it in your relationship with Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you will share in the things of Jesus. You will share in his victories and his triumph over death. We have the hope of the resurrection. You share in that. It excites you but you also share in the cross. That's the safest place for you and I is to be spiritually surrendered, dying at the cross daily. Isn't that what Paul said? I die daily. You share in that. So these things that are being taught that don't share in the reality of Jesus, this is why they're all messed up and this is why they left. They expected one thing from Jesus. He told them the truth. They didn't like it and they said no more. I'm not following him anymore. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I wanted. And let me tell you as a pastor, having pastored many years in California and now on my 16th year here at Calvary, I've seen this happen over and over again, unfortunately. In this church, the family of believers that have been with us, I've seen it. Not not all the time, but enough. Enough. Where... There are people that have made a confession of faith and they made a commitment to the church and they've started reading their Bible and they started praying and, and then something hard happened. Maybe some hard words to hear or a significant trial in their life or they were corrected on something or had to be instructed on something else, whatever it is. And instead of just persevering and accepting that the maturity process of God is working in their lives, the hard situation caused them to leave. Now, all we can see is the outside. You know that. We don't know the heart of anyone. So all we have is the observational skills. And what I'm describing is merely observation. I'm not speaking of people that leaving the church or leaving uh, the things of the Lord that go to another church, for example. Sometimes families move from one church to another. Uh, and a lot of times, because I have friends with a lot of pastors in town, I find out they're going to their church, and that's a good thing. God's using even the trial to build up some things in their life, and that's fantastic. I support it and encourage it. We want to be in the place where we're going to bear the most fruit. Uh, and I'm not talking about the people that are just pretending 
You know, we really don't know if they're pretending or not, but there are a group of people that are just kind of in here for ulterior motives in, in a church anywhere, and they're pretending, they're make-believers. I'm not talking about that group. What I'm talking about is a group that has genuinely really reflected the love of God. The Lord has done a work in their marriage, has done a work in their kids, done a work in their singleness, that, and, and they've served, and there's been fruit, but then something happens, and it causes them to go on a wandering wilderness the rest of their life. They, they're just, man... They leave to never return. And many of them, I don't even know. I don't even know what happened to them. We lost touch with them. And to me, it doesn't matter really, you know, if, if, if they're saved or they're not saved. There are those times where we have to watch them leave and let the Lord deal with them. And then there's other times where we have to leave the 99 and go after the one. Either way, we want to get people back in a right relationship with the Lord. Either way. Because verse 66 always opens up a can of, of debatable worms, if you will. Because people are always arguing about this. Can you lose your salvation? Because it looks like disciples are walking away from Jesus. And some might conclude that this is a uh, work of salvation. They lost their salvation. I I don't see that there. Neither do I see it in the entirety of the scriptures on the character and nature of salvation. In in your Bible, it doesn't say you get temporary salvation. It says you get what? Eternal salvation. Eternal is how long? Forever. Like if you're truly born again of God, the Bible says that you receive the Holy Spirit that does what? Seals you. When Peter was dealing with his backsliding and having to deal with denying the Lord. I mean, if anybody would think, man, that brother lost his salvation. Not so. You know what Peter learned during that time of denial? That he is kept by the power of God, First Peter chapter 1. So we've developed that in other Bible studies. If you're interested in that, you just go to the website. And we've looked at the, in depth at the character of salvation and what it means. And, you know, God is the author and finisher of salvation. You're not. You and I, we don't save ourselves. It's a, not by our works, but by the grace of God. And there are occasions when people will take off and they'll live a prodigal life. And they're saved, and yet they're miserable in the world. And we pray for them to come back, don't we? We pray for them. I was just thinking this morning of how grateful I am. You know, a family in our church, and we pray with a lot of families, but a family in our church, we just rejoice together because we've been praying for their boy for 15 years. 15 years we've prayed for him in it. And it's just the end of last year where the Lord, he's just so vibrant and on fire for the things of God. And we rejoice. It's like, yes, 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 yes. There's so 15. Can you, are you willing to wait 15 years for the will of God? 20 years? You know, our hearts are knit together with those that have been a part of our fellowship family over the years. We're going through the Gospel of John one verse at a time here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Hey, Pastor Ed, let's talk about our featured resource. It's a book written by Steve Carr called Married, How to Stay That Way. Well, let me tell you, Larry, I wish we would have had this book at the beginning of the ministry because it is that good. I love how Pastor Steve, who's a personal friend of mine, a uh, pastor of a Calvary Chapel up in Northern California, he's handed since handed it off so he can do more ministry. But uh, I wish I would have had this resource because I love what Steve... There's a couple things that Steve does. First of all, number one, he identifies the necessity of companionship and intimacy in marriage. And right away, when you think intimacy, you're like, oh, of course, you know, sexual relations. And and that is not at all the em- emphasis in the book. While intimacy is expressed through the uh, sexual relations, it's also emotional intimacy, communication in- intimacy, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy. And he, one of the things in this book, right in the beginning, it's worth the whole book, is a list of things 
It's kind of like an inventory of your marriage as it is right now. Like, do you read the Bible together? Do you go to church together? Those types of things. And then the rest of the book, like you can start looking at the rest of the book is a resource on how improving some of the areas that you're weak on, even if the whole thing, even if it's the whole thing, you, you need help in your entire marriage. It's okay. It's okay if you need help for your entire marriage. God is ready to do a new thing in your marriage. He's ready to do a new thing. And like Steve says in the book, even if just one of you is ready, the Holy Spirit can use just one of you. And it, it's it's a wonderful resource. We use it for crisis marriages. We use it for premarital. We use it for anything along the way. And it's personally blessed me. Uh, and I encourage you to get it. Support the ministry. Support your marriage. And let's go forward in these last days. <laughs> just living out our lives abiding in Christ. Get a copy of Married, How to Stay That Way by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.